you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. So to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to answer some very specific and a couple really, really important questions about angels and demons. I want to set the stage for everything that you're going to hear, and this comes directly from the book of Psalms. Psalm 142 tells you why God created the angels in the first place. And here's what Psalm 148 verses 1 and 2 say. It says, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord from the heavens. The songs that you were just singing are songs of praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Look what it says next. Praise Him in the heights. And listen to verse 2. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all the... I told you last week, this phrase is really His angel armies. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. God created every being in the universe for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to praise him and to give him glory. God created the heavenly beings to praise him. That's the reason why he created them in the first place. God created human beings to praise him. You and I have the same purpose for existence as the angels do. You were created to enjoy God, to bring him glory, and to praise him. Did you know you were created to praise him for eternity? Now, I need to help you understand God's fierce love today. I need, you to help, I need to help you understand where you sit in relation to the angels with your Father in heaven. And so I'm going to put a phrase on the screens. You may have said this when you're a child. You may have heard this when you're a child. But if you're around the dinner table, if you're part of a big family, if there was only one piece of fried chicken left and two children were fighting over the fried chicken and dad had to make a decision on which one of the two gets the fried chicken. And by the way, you can't split the fried chicken in half because there's just not enough. You probably heard you or your, your brother or sister make this statement right here, right? Anybody heard that one when you were growing up? One person in this room has heard the statement, dad loves you best. Well, Christian, listen to me. This statement is about your father in heaven. And this statement is about your relationship to your father in heaven. Look up here as compared to the angels. And I'm going to prove to you that dad loves you best or dad loves you most today by answering a couple of really, really important questions that you asked that are fascinating and very, very important to your soul. So what I'm going to do is just try to answer some simple questions for you today. And the questions are directly uh, the questions that you submitted. These come directly from you. Question number one that I want to try to answer for you is what are angels? Are they like ghosts? Well, let me answer the second question. I have no idea what you mean by are they like ghosts in your mind. I have no idea what ghosts are like in your mind. So there's no way that I can answer the second question without knowing exactly what you mean by that. But the first question, I can't answer for you. 
Actually, I'm not going to answer this for you. I'm going to let the scriptures answer this for you. We're going to start back in the book of Psalms. We're going to start at Psalm 103. Because Psalm 103 tells you exactly who these heavenly beings are when we refer to angels. And Psalm 103, verse 20, says it this way. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength, who do his word obedient to his command. This is a description of angels. And the first thing that it says is that the angels have great strength. The second thing that this one verse in the Bible says is that angels were created to do his word and be obedient to his command. We're going to come back to that last half of this verse in just a few moments and ask the question, well, what about the angels that don't do his word? don't do his, that are not obedient to his command. But I want to define terms for just a second. If you were with us last week, I made this statement. I don't want you to miss it. So if you're joining in this week, when I use the word angel, I'm talking about all of the created beings. I'm talking about the good angels that do his word and that are obedient to his command. And I'm talking about the evil spirit angels that no longer do his word and are no longer obedient to his command. God created heavenly beings known as angels. And then some of those angels rebelled against God and we now call them demons, but they still fit into the category of angels created by God and created to praise him, to bless him, and to do his work. So I want to just ask you, Anybody lost somebody really dear to you? And when you were grieving, maybe you were at the funeral service, maybe this is after the funeral was over with, a friend or somebody that you knew came up to you and they, they cared about you and they, they were concerned about the grief and so they made a statement to you. I want to just ask you by show of hands, anybody ever heard somebody say this statement out loud? The reason why your loved one died is because God needed another angel in heaven. Come on, raise your hand if you've ever heard that statement. Okay, listen to me. If your hand is up in the air and you've heard that statement, you have my permission as a pastor to look somebody in the eyes the next time they say that to you and just delicately but um, honestly tell them, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because everything about that statement is wrong. First, just the words God needed, that itself is wrong. No, God cannot need by the very fact that he is God. If he could need, he would no longer be God. So God didn't need another angel. And he certainly didn't turn my grandmother as, as beautiful and as godly of a woman as she was into an angel when she got into heaven. That's not how things work. People don't become angels. And by the way, angels don't get their wings every time a bell rings. <laughs> but I get where people get that idea from. Because the book of Hebrews says angels can sometimes appear. They're not created like people, but they can sometimes appear like people. And Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says it this way. Don't neglect to show hospitality, welcoming people into your house. Because by doing this, 
Some have actually welcomed angels as guests. I'm going to add into their home. And they did it without knowing it because the angels that showed up at their home looked very much like people. In fact, most often when you hear about angels taking on form, they take on the form of a human. By the way, it's almost exclusively male. In fact, I'm not sure that there is one reference anywhere in the Bible where the angels take on a form of a human, and it's a female. They almost exclusively take on the form of a man when they show up on earth. Usually a very impressive, very um, overwhelming guy, but it's, it is possible for angels to take on human form. They're just not human. Angels were created by God to worship him. You were created by God to worship him and to bring him glory. That's the reason why you exist. But there is a difference, and I need you to always keep in mind the angels are not people that get to heaven and they get wings and a harp and float around on a cloud. That's not what the angels are. Angels are different. And we're going to learn just how different they are in the rest of this sermon. The next question that somebody asked is, do angels have gender? And this is a pretty tough question, believe it or not. I mean, my answer to this question is going to be, well... No, if you are talking about gender the way that human beings have gender, but yes, when they take on human form, they have what appears to be human gender. And I'll show you from two different passages. Sometimes people say, well, the angels are asexual. They don't have gender. And this comes directly from Jesus's words about marriage and about divorce and about heaven. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 29 and 30, Jesus answered them, you're mistaken. He's talking to some religious, religious leaders about who is married and not married in heaven. You're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, and now Jesus is referring to when all people get to their eternal resting place, in the resurrection, they, human beings, will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And here's where people get confused, and it's natural because of what Jesus says next. They're not going to be married. They're not going to be given in marriage. It doesn't mean that you won't be a man or a woman in heaven. It's just saying you're not going to be married in heaven but they will be like angels in heaven. Not they will become angels, but they will be in gender like angels, meaning there's not marriage and angels are not married in heaven. And that's where I would answer, well, angels don't have gender the way that human beings have gender, except, and this may cause a few questions, so take out your phones right now, Except when angels take on human form and enter into a physical relationship with women on earth. Genesis chapter 6. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. And y'all, you ladies look so beautiful that you even got the attention of the fallen angels. And daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful. And they took any they chose as wives for themselves. Now, I want to keep reading. 
But I need you to understand that that phrase, the sons of God, is the Old Testament phrase that we use to refer to angels in the Bible. Very clearly, this is a reference to angels. The angels took on human form and they chose wives for themselves of the women on earth. And then this is what the Bible says next. And the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days back in the day will be 120 years. Now it's supposed to be around 70. And the Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them and they were powerful men of old, the famous men. What the Bible is describing here is a physical relationship between the fallen angels and women on earth and they had children and these children became really powerful warriors that existed for many generations on earth because they were the direct descendants of these powerful beings, the heavenly beings that God created, and human beings. So somehow when angels show up on earth, when they take on gender, they are like you and me, but the way that God created them is not with the gender like you and I. Would have. I realize this is probably going to cause you to ask 50 questions about this. And to be quite honest with you, the Bible doesn't give us any more information other than what we just read in Genesis chapter 6. But the Bible does start this passage with God is so angry with what he saw between this relationship between God or between angels and, and humans. And sin has become so rampant on earth. Genesis chapter 6 says God is ready to hit the reset button. So he's just going to wipe every human being off earth, literally in a flood, with the exception of Noah and his children and their wives. That's it. It's become so disgusting in God's eyes that he's ready to just pass judgment and wipe every human being off the planet because of what's happening in Genesis chapter 6. And now we get to some really, really important questions. In fact, the people that submitted these questions, I don't know if you realized just how important these next two questions are. So the next question asks, do angels have the power of choice? And the answer is, do they today? My one-word answer to this question is no. But if you were to reword the question, did angels have the power of choice? The answer is unequivocally yes, they did. At some point back in God's creation, I have no idea when this happened. We don't have the timeline for angels anywhere in the Bible. And I'm only giving you what the Bible says here. We're not using the other junk out there that Hollywood or books describe about angels and demons. From the Bible, we have no timeline on this. But at some point, God created angels. God created angels to be perfect beings. But at some point, angels were able to make a decision. And there was a rebellion in heaven. And about half of God's created angels decided to rebel against their creator while they were in his presence and try to take over his throne and depose him from the throne while, he was, while they were in his presence. And those became the fallen angels 
referred to as evil spirits, or we just call them demons today. At some point, there was a choice. But it's clear that that point is over, and we read that just a moment ago from the book of Psalms and from Hebrews. But Jude makes this abundantly clear as well. Jude verses 5 and 6 says it this way. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, says it. Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all of these things once and for all, and that these things that Jude is describing is the gospel and what Jesus did for you on the cross, although you came to know about the gospel and these things once and for all, that Jesus saved people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, he gave them an opportunity to respond in faith, and they wanted nothing to do with him. Here's what Jude says next. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, abandoned this opportunity to live in God's very presence for eternity. He has kept them right now in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Maybe there was a moment in time, don't know when this happened in the eternal timeline, where the angels decided, I'm going to serve God, or I'm going to try to kick God off his throne, and I'm going to take over in God's place. And when that moment happened, God pronounced the judgment, and those evil angels, which we would call demons to this day, have been reserved for the lake of fire. In fact, Jesus says it this way, God didn't create hell for human beings. He created it for these angels. That's the reason why hell exists in the first place, just to punish the angels who were in God's presence and yet chose to rebel against him anyway. When you talk about the power of choice, it is a description of the grace of God that calls a man or a woman to believe. James chapter 1 describes the evil angels. I'm not going to um, put the verses on the screens for you, but it says those angels, they don't just believe in God. They know he exists, and they know it from firsthand knowledge because they were in his presence, and when they hear God's name, they tremble. But those angels are certainly not going to dwell with God in heaven. So do angels have the power of choice? Yeah, they sure do. And the fourth and final question, and I'm going to read the whole question for you. This should say number four, not number three. The fourth and final question, and the most important question you're going to hear answered today, is are the angels redeemed? Now listen to the whole question, because it starts with a statement, and then it asks something very significant for your soul right now. Jesus didn't die for the angels, right? That's a statement. So are they redeemed if they do anything wrong? Or do they exist in a state of perfection, kind of like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden? And the reason why this question is so important is because it gets to the essence of the very idea of choice in the first place. The idea that you and I can simply do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and it's no big deal. In fact, the way the Bible describes sin is it affects 
every cell of the human body. You and I were born into it like being born with COVID from parents that were infected before you came out of the womb. There's nothing that you can do to stop the infection of sin. And it impacts absolutely every bit of who you are and everything about how you think. And it impacts the choices that you make. But dad really does love you most. And instead of letting human beings suffer the same consequences of the angels, he decided, I'm going to make a way for those humans that I created, Adam and Eve, back in the Garden of Eden, I'm going to make a way for them to turn to me in faith. I'm going to personally intervene in their life. In fact, I'm going to do it in such a personal way that I'm going to take on flesh and blood just like the humans that I created so they can know me, so they can turn to me in faith, so they can love me. What I'm trying to say is had God not done for Adam and Eve, for you and I, what he's done for us, you and I would never have a shot at eternity, have no chance of heaven or being called a child of God. It is exclusively because God's fierce love to go after you and to make a way so that you can turn to him in faith, so that you can be redeemed. This is exactly what the Bible is trying to teach us. In Hebrews chapter 2, when it describes, lean in for just a second, your Savior leaving heaven and taking on flesh and blood because he loves you that much. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, this is a reference to Adam and Eve and all of his descendants, which means me and you. Since you and I have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and took on flesh and blood because of his fierce love for you. Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one with the power of death. That is the chief angel, that is Lucifer, the, the most important angel that God created, the one that led the rebellion against him. The Bible refers to him as the devil right now. Jesus took on flesh, flesh and blood to break the power of death and sin and hell in your life. The one that's holding over you, the chief of the evil angels, the devil, and Look at this, to free those who were held in slavery. Look at these next words, all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear, and the Bible wants to make it abundantly clear to you, dad really does love you more than he loves the angels. And Hebrews makes this crystal clear. For it is clear that he doesn't reach out to help the angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. God would not let Ab or Adam and Eve suffer the eternal consequences of their sin. He wouldn't let them spend an eternity without him. And so in order to fix what Adam and Eve just broke, when the exact same thing happened with humans that happened with angels, God said, I'm going to go fix this. And in order to fix it, I'm going to send my son to leave heaven and 
and to come to earth to take on flesh and to be a, a, a delicate and a vulnerable human being and ultimately to pay your personal sacrifice on the cross to give his life up, to prove to you his fierce love for you. And if you're going through some stuff right now and you're thinking to yourself, it doesn't feel like God loves me. Maybe it doesn't feel that way, but all you need to do is look back 2,000 years ago to a cross on a hill right, right outside of Jerusalem. That will tell you how much you mean to God. And they took him off of a cross and they laid him in a tomb. And then three days later, the man who really was dead stepped out of that tomb alive to guarantee your eternal life. This is where you stand in relation to the angels. Hebrews makes it clear. God didn't do that for the angels. They're going to pay eternally the price for what they did, but you don't have to. And the reason you don't have to is because God has freed you from the bondage of sin and he's offering it to you as a gift. And what he's asking you to do next is to just reach out to him in faith and to turn to him and to say, God, I can't fix this. I can't be free from my sin. You and you alone can make me free. And maybe somebody watching this broadcast right now needs to be set free from sin. Maybe you're watching this broadcast and you've never really stepped across the line of faith. You're kind of still living under the curse of sin and you need Jesus to radically free you and to change your soul right now. If that's you, in just a second, I'm going to pray for you. But if that's not you, if you really are a Christian, genuinely have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, then I want you to see what it says right here on the screens. Number two then you should be able to say like me, I remember who I was at 13 years old before Jesus stepped in and snatched this sinful little boy out of his sin, cleaned me up and made me into a new person. And I'm not gonna forget that. I'm not gonna forget it this week. I'm not gonna forget it for the rest of my life because I remember who I was before he changed me. And I don't ever wanna go back to that kid that I was before Jesus stepped in and radically changed me. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me right now. I'm going to pray that this week you would rest in God's fierce love if you are a Christian. And if you're not, this would be the moment that you experience his first love or his fierce love for the first time. Would you bow your heads? Let me pray right now. Father, We've talked about angels and demons, but really what we've done is a lot of very important theology right now. We've seen how I'm so broken. Sin has affected me so much that I can't possibly be a good enough person to earn my freedom from my sin. I can't work hard enough to make my sin go away. There's no amount of good deeds that I could do that at the end of my life, it would take away all of the sin that I've done. It just doesn't work that way. And because it doesn't work like that, because of your fierce love for me, you sent your son Jesus to go get this 13-year-old kid and to snatch him out of his sin, and to clean him up, and to make him into a new person. And in order to accomplish that, it cost Jesus his life. And God, how could I possibly ever say thank you enough for what you've done for me? Not just me, but for every 
Christian who realizes today, you really do love me, God, and you love me more than you even love the angels because you did something for me that you weren't willing to do for them. You were willing to redeem me, and I don't want to forget it. I want to live resting in your goodness this week. So God, would you help me when the week gets hard and I start to think, are you there, God? Do you care, God? Help me to remember my redemption this week. Father, I'm praying that somebody's watching this broadcast and they don't really know you as Savior. And this is a holy moment where your spirit comes into a hotel room or a living room or this room and taps them on the chest and says, today's the day. I want you to turn from your sins and I want you to become a new person. I want to change you right now. God, would you cause somebody quietly right there in their soul to just cry out a prayer of faith to you? It says, Father, you love me. You love me so much that you went after me. And God, right here, right now, I am turning from my sins and I am trusting you as my Savior and as my Lord. God, I need your help to live right because I can't do it on my own. God, I need you to change me and to make me into the man or the woman that you created me to be. Father, would you hear that prayer from heaven? God, would you do the greatest miracle of all times? Would you take something that is a dead, a dead soul, and would you make it alive for the first time right now? Because somebody's turning to you in genuine faith. And then, God, would you give us as a church the privilege of hearing about it, following up with them, and explaining to them how they can become the kind of disciple that you've called them to be. Father, I put all of these things in your hand, praying that you would be glorified by these things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to see if anybody submitted some questions. And if you did, I'm going to try to answer those questions right now, live during the service. Oh, here we go. couple of good ones. <clears throat> Somebody asked today, is there a written reason as to why Lucifer would defy God? Uh, by written reason, I assume that what you mean here is, does the Bible tell us why he did this? And the answer is, yes, kind of. It impl implies that Lucifer thought he was pretty awesome because God created him as the angel above all of the angels. So Lucifer let it go to his head. And he thought he was so awesome that he could take over the throne of God. I don't have the exact scripture reference for you. I can go back and research that a little bit. But there is the reference in scripture to Lucifer being so proud, so arrogant, that he would literally think he could become bigger or better than God, his creator. It's a great question. Question number two, if the fallen angels are chained up in hell, how are they free to cause spiritual warfare? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how this works. I think what it's saying, and I'd need to go back and do some more detailed study of the verb tense. I think what the Bible is inferring is that their destiny is set for hell and no one and nothing can change that. But right now they have a little freedom. Now I need you to hear this. So look up here for just a second. The freedom that the demons have is totally under the control of God. I need you to hear, uh, I need you to say hallelujah. hallelujah. I'm going to say it again. The freedom that the demons have is totally under God's control. 
That means they can't do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whomever they want. Go back and read the first two chapters of the book of Job, or if you live somewhere else, the book of Job, because it tells you even the works of the devil is under the authority of God. And he permits this uh, tormenting or spiritual warfare that you just asked about, but it's still under God's authority. And then Revelation tells us the day is coming where God is just going to say, all right, I'm done with all of you evil spirits. I'm done with sin. I'm done with wickedness. I'm going to fix it all. And the way I'm going to fix it all is by destroying all sin, all evil, all wickedness to include evil angels. And this should make you tremble. Evil people. That's the only way to eradicate it completely from God's creation. Last question that came in today. It is mentioned in the Bible that men and women were possessed by demons. What would that look like and how should, or how should we react to that as Christians? We're going to do a lot of discussion about demon possession because there's been about 20 questions, literally about 20 questions that came in on demon possession. So I'm not going to answer that question right now. Stay tuned because we're going to, we're going to talk a lot about demon possession and exorcism because the Bible talks a lot about demon possession, fallen angel possession and exorcism. We're going to try to tackle all of your questions on this topic coming up. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.